Well, good morning. It is good to be back up here sharing with you this morning. I feel like it's been a little while since I've been up here. I've been away and other people have been speaking, so it's been good. Um, last week was a great end to the, our series, our last series on the four of the seven churches of Revelation. And just the God has truly blessed us with talented songwriters, and so I want to thank them again for that. And he taught us himself about himself through that last week. And so um, in two weeks, we're going to be starting a new series on the book of John. So if you wanted to start reading through the book of John, that's what we're going to be studying from now until Easter. So we'll kind of hit Easter when it hits in John. That's the plan. Um, And so you can uh, start preparing by that. Also, I want to put out the word um, that um, we have a lot of artists here. And so I want you to think about creating something for this next series, whether that's a PowerPoint slide that, you know, a picture that we can use for background or if it's artwork for um, that we can display, or if it's a song based on a st- one of the stories in John, uh, start thinking about that. Or maybe it's just a, the scripture in John, put the words. So think about that and, and get back with us. We'd love to see God use the gifts that he's provided in this family to create and, and, and show an image of himself, how he creates. And so, um, so start working on that. Also, next week, um, a good friend of mine named Dawson Jones, is, he's been a part of Soma Tacoma for a while. Uh, and he and his family are going to be leaving for, as missionaries to Slovakia. And so he's going to be here kind of sharing a uh, vision for that and just casting some vision for, for Eastern Europe um, a little bit. And so um, we're going to talk today about finding your satisfaction in God. Um, but before we do that, let me pray um, and ask the Holy Spirit to empower us. Our Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you call us to yourself. We thank you that we get to gather in this place and talk about your stuff. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God that loves us and desires to give us good gifts. And so, Lord, we pray that we would see you this morning, that your spirit would open up our hearts and our eyes and our ears to hear what you want to teach us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So some of you know that um, Jessica's sister and her um, brother-in-law and their four kids have been with us for the last two weeks. So eight kids in my house plus four adults. Um, so 12 of us in two bedrooms and one and a half bath. Um, so they were staying in the camper. Um, so there's a little bit of mayhem at our house over the last couple of weeks. Um, but uh, one of the things last week before they left, they left on Thursday. Um, and so on Thursday or Tuesday of last week, we, we went up to the Hollywood to do the Hollywood sites and all that kind of stuff. And if you're familiar with um, with Hollywood, there's a neighborhood where you can kind of wind your way up all the way to the sign. And if you get up there, there's kind of amazing views of the L.A. Basin, and you can get, like, the sign, like, holding it in your hand like this and all kinds of stuff. So if you're kind of familiar, there's also this little, this little dirt road that you can, like, hike in about two-thirds of a mile. It's a very short little hike. And you can get about as close to the Hollywood sign as possible without getting arrested. Um, and so... So we, 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 we fight the traffic and we wind our way up to the, to the city, uh, through the city and, and get up to this little fire road. And it sounds like a pretty nice day, right? Well, it, it really didn't start that way very well because really the kids thought we were going to the beach that day. And so as soon as we get in the car to kind of head towards Hollywood, the whine and the complaining started to happen. Um, so by the time we get out to this little dirt road, um, the, the whine gets even... I don't know, 
greater is the right word. Um, really big, a lot of it. It was flowing down the road, just put it that way. It, was, it just started becoming all kinds of things. Why did you bring us out here? It's so hot and it's dry and there's, there's scorpions and there's coyotes and there's ants. Oh, not the ants. My kids are afraid of ants. I don't know why. But there's, there's ants. They're like, why? We don't want to see this plastic sign. We want to be at the beach. We have no water. We're going to die. Do we have to take another picture? Ugh. There was more wine there than in the Napa Valley. I mean, it was like, it was crazy. And as we're kind of walking back to the cars... It kind of reminded me of the scene of the Israelites in the desert and so, um, and in the wilderness. And so I started to talk about that, which kind of just increased the speed of us getting back to the car. Um, and, and, and so, so I want to, I wanna, hopefully that doesn't happen today as we talk about this, because we're going to talk about Exodus 16 and, and whining and complaining, not because of my kids, but because I think it's something that we all deal with in life and um, and, and how do we find our satisfaction in life when, when things don't go the way that we want them to or that things don't happen um, in the plans that we thought that they should. And so if you open your Bibles to Exodus 16, we're going to start there. And, and what you find is that uh, in the nation of Israel, um, this, this is kind of where Joseph has died and, and they've grown into a large nation and now they're living inside of Egypt. Um, and the Egyptians really didn't care for it very much. Um, it's kind of almost like you think about... Um, you invite someone into your house and you give them a place to stay because they're needy. And so they move in and then all of a sudden they have a few babies and then their extended family moves in. And everywhere you go, you run into someone and, and there's, 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 their stuff is dominating your space everywhere. I don't know if that's ever happened to you or not, but it's happened to me in my house. Um, and so the Egyptians really kind of had enough of it. And so they put them in one part of the country and say, you guys have to stay over here. And they start to oppress them and they make them their slaves. And so Israel calls out to God and, and God promises to take them to a new land and, and to free them from the oppression of the Egyptians. And, and finally through the plagues, and the, the Egyptians let them go. And they say, um, you guys can go, just get out of here, we've had enough of you only to change their mind and chase them down with their army. Um, and so the army now has pinned them down with the, with the Red Sea at their backs. And, and God again delivers them by parting the Red Seas. And they walk across the sea uh, the, on dry ground. And, the, and as the Egyptians come in, the waters close and God saves them. And so we've seen God do all of this action and all these things, do these miraculous things over the past months in, the, in their life. And God's presence is with them. We see that um, in the daytime is a cloud kind of covering them so they would be cool. And at night there's a pillar of fire to keep them warm. And he's leading them to the promised land. And take a look what happens in Exodus 16. Exodus 16 verse 1. And they set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they departed from the land of Egypt. So they've been out of Egypt for about six weeks now. About six weeks they've been out. Verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread of, of full, and you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. It's interesting how their memory 
of what actually was taking place changed pretty quickly. I, I don't really remember any meat pots in Egypt. I don't remember them eating bread until they're full. I recall them actually being in slavery. It really wasn't that great. That's why they called out to God in the first place. And now they're out in the wilderness and they start basically the same whining, the same complaining, uh, and that they'll continue to sing for another 40 years, really. Um, it was way better in Egypt. Slavery was better than the freedom that you provide, God. And how quickly they forget. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as gathered daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you, may, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And so what happens, we see, is, is God sends quails um, for meat for them, and God sends manna down uh, each morning, kind of like rain. And so each morning they wake up, and the ground is covered with food for them to eat, and each night they go um, to bed, and there's meat for them. Um, I, I kind of imagine it like if you have kids, you've seen that movie Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and just kind of like food kind of comes down and they just put out their plates. I kind of imagine it's a scene like that. It's probably not as giant as those pancakes that are covering things. But, but it was pretty awesome. Right? They, they, don't, they don't have to go to Ralph's. They, they don't need to go to Costco to stock up. Um, they, the food comes right to their doorstep. It's kind of like the Amazon commercial with the little, with the little pods, except for you don't have to pay for it. Right? And, and, and it was all free, and, and God provides all the food they need, uh, except on Saturday, and you get an extra portion on Friday. And it's just kind of a crazy, amazing scene of God's provision. And then in verse 32, Moses said this, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so God says, basically, I want you to remember for generations upon generations upon generations that I've rained down bread from the sky, that I've took care of you, that I've fed you, really that, that I'm a good dad that provides all you need. I want you to remember that. Because here the, the truth is that, that we're pretty forgetful. And the truth is that, that all of life is worship and that, that every thought and every action that is either directed towards God or it's directed towards something else created. There's, there's no in-between. It's either directed towards God or it's directed towards some false God. And everything we do reflects ultimately what we believe to be true about God. That's the harsh reality. Our life always reflects our theology, at least our, our theology in that moment may not be what we would confess is our theology, but it definitely is our practical theology. The way that you and I live in a moment reveals exactly what we truly believe about God. And so when the Israelites here are complaining, um, they're saying, oh, you should have killed us in Egypt. Remember all the amazing food we had in Egypt. Well, what, are, what are the people saying about God at that moment? Because Moses says that it wasn't about him, it was about God. What are the people saying about God? What, what's getting revealed about their practical theology in that moment? What are they saying about God? 
He's not good. Okay? What else? He's not enough. He's not enough. Okay? He made a mistake. Yeah, good. He's, his provision was good at one point, but it kind of has an end to that. There's something that was better. Yeah. Yeah, he made a mistake. What else? What else are they saying about God? He doesn't care. He doesn't care about them. Yeah. Maybe he, maybe he brought us out here to kill us. He, this is just some cruel thing that God was doing. He really doesn't care about us. Yeah. He's against us. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he's not just evil. He, he's just... He's not, powerful, he's not powerful enough to do what he thought he could do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As, you, as you think about this, what, what are some things that you complain about? Kids. kids. Yeah, I can tell you on that road, the four of us adults were complaining about the kids, even though they were complaining about something else. Yeah, there's a reality to that. Yeah, what, what, what are some other things you complain about or grumble about? Homework. Yeah, why do I have to do this work? Whether it's your schoolwork or, or maybe even your, your, your profession. I'm tired of doing this work. Yeah, good. What else? What, what don't you complain about? Yeah, that's exactly right, Alfred. Yeah, pretty much everything, right? Money, kids, spouse, house, time, technology, work. Yeah. See, maybe you think about this other way. What, what do you look for for satisfaction? What are you saying right now? When I have this, everything will be okay. If, if I just had this or if this just happened, then I would be satisfied. Success. Success. Okay? Yeah. I can finally make my career what I want it to be. Yeah. Or whatever you define as success. Yeah, good. What else? More sleep. Yeah. I just need some more rest. If I could just have rest, then I would be satisfied. Yeah, good. What else? Yeah, if I knew everything God knew, my brain wouldn't blow up and I would be good. Yeah, yeah, good. What else? Yeah, a sense of usefulness. Well, what's, what's my purpose? What should I do? Yeah, good. I'd be satisfied if I was useful. Yeah, good. Okay? Yeah, if I could ever get organized. If I could just figure it all out, get it all in line, and I would know what to do. Yeah, good. Good. Yeah. Win the lottery. Win the lottery. Yeah, if I just had some money, then I would be satisfied. Right? Then I could buy whatever I want. I could take care of whoever I wanted to, and the money would be what would satisfy me. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. I think health is a big one oftentimes. Right? Like... If I would just be healthier or so-and-so would be healthier or, or maybe not just even physical health, relational health. If I had relational health with my spouse or relational health with, with my coworker or, or whatever that may be. Yeah. I think sometimes it, it's a little more trivial for me. Sometimes it's like, I want to watch this TV show and my kids want to watch like something dumb. Like, <laughs> right? Like, I don't want to watch Say Yes to the Dress anymore. I just can't do it. Right, like, can I please watch some football? No, we haven't seen this one, Dad. No. But I, I, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here by saying that we complain about a lot of stuff. We, we don't, I think maybe we don't always verbalize it. I think oftentimes as adults, we kind of like have figured out how to not complain with our mouths. Um, our, our kids just, just throw it out. 
but, but we kind of hide it. But I think oftentimes we're, we're fairly consistent stream of negative thoughts and complaints about what's going on around us and in us. It could be little things. It could be big things. Um, some of them are actually good things that we want and desire. Um, it's, it's good to have work. Like maybe, you know, I, I'm complaining I don't have a job. Or it's good to have health. First um, Timothy 4 says, God loves to give his kids good gifts. God loves to give his children good gifts for our enjoyment. The problem is when we think about good things and, and we find our satisfaction in them, they become the ultimate thing. They actually become God for us. And that's a bad thing. The good thing, when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it really becomes an idol. So when, when I'm saying like, if I can just have rest or if I can have um, money or if I can have health, when they, when, if God gives me that thing, unless, unless God doesn't give me that, I won't be satisfied. And I, I want to say that's an idol. We're worshiping that thing. When, we, when we're finding satisfaction in that, what are we saying about God in that moment? What are, what are we saying when we're looking for those things to find satisfaction for us? He's insufficient, okay? Yeah. He's not good enough to fulfill me. Yeah, good. What else? Yeah. He doesn't have my best interest in mind, right? How about that? God doesn't have my best interest in mind. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, what else? Yeah, he's not in control, so I better take over. Yeah, good. Yeah. What else? What else are we saying about God when we're looking for our satisfaction in something else? Yeah, he doesn't know me. He doesn't really know what I need. Or he's holding out on me. He knows what I need, but he's vindictive right now. He's just holding out on me. Yeah, good. I want to say the fundamental nature of all complaints is that we want to be God. Why am I not getting what I want? Which is basically saying, why am I not God? If I were God, I would give myself that. I would give myself everything I think I want and need. The truth is that God actually created us with needs rather than complete. If you think back to the garden, um, back before, um, before sin, before the fall, what, what did God create humans with in the garden? What, what needs did they have? What did they have? What needs did the humans have before the fall? Food. Okay? Yeah, they had to eat. Right? They, had to, they, had to, they needed food and water. What else did they need? Relationship. Intimacy. We, need, we see that, that they, they need to be fully known and accepted and, and loved within relationship, companionship. God says it's not good for the man to be alone. Yeah, good. What else? What other needs did they have? Yeah, he gave them a purpose. There's a need. We needed work. Yeah, good. Yeah. What else? I think there's a big one. Rest. Right? He, he created a whole day for that. It's obviously something that presumably they needed, right? So why, why do you think God created humans with all of those needs? So he could supply them, okay? Good. Yeah, what else? Okay? Yeah, uh, there would be a healthy dependence on God and others. Good, yeah. Yeah, what else? Okay, yeah, we depended on him. We reminded that we're not self-sufficient. Right, that, that God in his goodness would show humanity who he was by providing for them in good gifts. Yeah, good. Yeah. 
I think it's an opportunity, right, for him to reveal his grace and his kindness. I think there's also something else going on here with these needs is that, that really they're, they're a signpost to a deeper reality. That since the beginning of time, the physical things we, we need, we see this pattern of God creating a need and then filling it. It's very cyclical. It's very repetitive. We see it over and over and over and over time. You know, every day, a few times a day, um, they needed to drink. They needed to eat. Regularly, they needed each other. They needed to sleep every night. It's very cyclical. I, I, have, a, I have a stomach and it's hungry. Tori was telling me that she was hungry beforehand. Sorry, I called you out and I told you I wasn't going to. Um, um, I, I need some food for that hunger to go away. Every day, there's a reminder that you need God to meet your physical needs. God built that into the fabric of creation. He built it into the fabric of creation. That, that there, there's a need that, that's a fulfillment to a deeper reality, a deeper reality. There's something deeper going on here. There's a deeper need that we need God spiritually as well. If you think about, if you have a physical need, God says your, your stomach is hungry and you're thirsty. I'm going to give you food. I'm going to give you water to fill that. But here's the deal. Your stomach is hungry and you're thirsty, but your soul is actually really what's hungry and thirsty. And I'm going to give you way more than that. I'm going to give you way more than food and water. I'm going to give you um, something else that would completely satisfy you. You see, for, for, for you to thirst and for you to hunger and for, for me to give you food is a good thing. It's, it's good. But, but ultimately, I'm going to give you myself because I'm really good. See, God designed all things, food, water, intimacy, work, rest, all the things that we listed, all the things that, that we desire, God designed all of those to fail us, to leave us empty. God designed that food would never ultimately satisfy you. You ever eaten like a really, really good meal and you're like, oh, that was so amazing, I'm so full, I can't eat anymore. And then like a half an hour later, you're like, I'm kind of hungry. Right? Like, I don't know how it happens. Every time we eat dinner, like no less than 30 minutes later, we're starving, Dad. It's like food just never satisfies us. God designed them ultimately to, temp, to be temporary, to fail you. He designed water the same way. We have to continue to drink over and over and over again. It quenches your thirst for a little while, but you're going to need more. You're going to need more. Even intimacy or, or sex, if you want to say it that way, doesn't ultimately satisfy us. Intimacy only provides um, a little while and then it fails us and we desire it again. Oftentimes in marriage, I think we think marriage is going to be this ultimate thing. It's going to be the thing that satisfies you. But God designed that to fail you as well. He designed marriage to leave you empty. Even on your best day of marriage, you can look around and say, is this as good as it gets? Because you know that, it's, that God's satisfaction is way better than that. God doesn't want to give you a spouse to provide ultimate satisfaction for you. If you have a spouse already, God didn't provide one so that they would satisfy you. If, that, if you think that, if you try to live that out, that's called idol worship. God does want to bless you through marriage, but for you or your spouse to care well for one another, and of course there's a lot of goodness comes out of marriage, but it's not the ultimate thing. It's not the ultimate goodness. God designed all good things to fail you and leave you empty. Now this isn't just kind of like 
some sick joke of God where he's up there like, ha-ha, watch this, they're going to be empty again. Rather, God designed all things so that you would look to him as the ultimate. You see, the good news is that God wants to break in and says, hey, guess what? Hey, guess what, brother? Guess what, sister? I'm right here. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm with you. My presence is here. I can bring the kind of satisfaction and peace and comfort that is way better than food or rest or work or marriage or job or health or whatever else it is. God is saying, I am right here. Look to me. I am the one who actually satisfied. I designed all of these other things to be empty so that you would look to me for your fulfillment. As we see Jesus in his ministry, Jesus understands this. He knows this is the reality. He knows that humans are constantly looking for fulfillment in some other area, for some other satisfaction, to desire peace or rest or comfort or fulfillment. We all have this ravenous desire for comfort, I would say. We, we want to we be comfort, especially, I think, in this country where we've had so many things of comfort. We, we, we think that we're actually do it. Maybe some of you are actually even thinking about right now, what are you going to do next? After this. And in John chapter 6, Jesus, um, Jesus is talking here in John chapter 6. You can turn to 625. And, and Jesus is teaching and he's healing all kinds of people. And he's drawing these giant crowds. And he, he just fed 5,000 men and women and children. Um, and Jesus just breaks two breads and, and some fish and, and feeds all these people. And, the, and he gets in a boat after that and he leaves and he goes across the lake. And, and the crowd of people kind of follow him around. Um, and the religious leaders of the day come to him and they start asking some questions. Look at what verse 25 says. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, but not, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes. He's basically saying, that food that you ate is going to fail you. It's only going to satisfy you for a little bit. It's not going to last. And he goes on, For the food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man, will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what signs do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you do to perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Basically, that's the story we said earlier, right? Basically, if Jesus, if you are who you say you are, prove it by sending some more food down from heaven. To do just like you did in the wilderness. The food that you gave us a little bit earlier, that bread when you just broke up all those loaves and fed like five, ten thousand people, that wasn't, that wasn't good enough. Drop some more bread down from heaven. And Jesus says this on 32. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. You see, they, they completely miss it. They think that he's talking about physical bread. They're like, we want that bread again. Like, give us bread every morning so we don't have to go out to work. But he's, Jesus is talking about something else. He's talking about spiritual bread. They're thinking about filling their stomachs, and he's talking about filling their souls. In verse 35, is, Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, 
And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 48 again. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Guess what? All that bread that you're desiring, it failed them. They're dead. It didn't last. Verse 50. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that the one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give you is the life of the word of my flesh. See, they still don't get it. They're thinking physically and Jesus is talking spiritually. Jesus is talking about soul and they're thinking about stomach. Because what Jesus is really talking is he's using eating as a metaphor for belief, for understanding, for for following him. Which really is an amazing metaphor if you think about it. You think about eating something. When you eat something, it becomes a part of you. And so Jesus is saying, you need to trust me to the degree, to that same type of intimacy that you have with food. That when it goes down inside your body, it becomes a part of you. That's the, whole, that's the kind of faith, that's the kind of understanding and belief that you're going to need to put in me. Because the reality is that taste is the most intimate of all of our senses. Uh, you've been, I don't know if you guys have been watching that, but I've been watching the Olympics lately. Um, and if you go into an event like the Olympics in a stadium, giant stadium, maybe a baseball game or whatever... There's thousands and thousands of people, and you can hear them all at once. Or if you look out, you can see them all at once. Thousands of people will cheer or moan as their favorite wins or loses. And so sight and sound is really not that intimate. When you get down to the, to the sense of touch, the world gets a little smaller. Right? You can only touch a certain amount of people. Smell is even more intimate than that. If I can smell you, like... We're, we're pretty close. There's, a, there's, an intimate, there's an intimate relationship there. But taste is even more intimate than that. And there's not many people on this planet that you've tasted probably. To taste something is very, very intimate. And Jesus says, taste me. Take me in. In Psalm, 48, uh, Psalm 34, 80 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus is saying, To taste and see that I'm good is to find out that I will actually give you life. I will actually give you satisfaction. I have the kind of intimacy that you're desiring. Find your intimacy with me. That Take me and let me be a part of you. Put your faith in me and you will experience satisfaction and peace and joy and hope that you could never comprehend on your own. You see, in the wilderness... The bread came down from heaven for the Israelites and they ate it, but they eventually died. And Jesus is saying, but guess what? There's better bread here. I am here with you. Eat of me. Jesus is saying, put all your focus on the right thing. Look to the ultimate one, the one that truly satisfies, not the things that will only satisfy you for a moment in life. See, the only thing that can really help us from stop constantly complaining and whining and, and thinking other things will find satisfaction in, is to, to be remembered that Jesus is actually the one that's with us now. That he's actually better than the things that I'm putting my hope in. The other things that I'm holding up as my Savior and saying, when this happens, I will be satisfied. See, in that moment when we actually realize that we're holding those things up, we realize that that's sin and satisfaction, we need to turn and repent 
of those things. To repent of our misguided worship. You see, the good news is that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. He desires to be the one that can, that can deeply satisfy every part and portion of your life. And not just for a moment here in time, but for all eternity. And instead of, instead of coming in, in, into the valley of whining and complaining, he's saying, look to something else to provide what you're trying to temporarily fill in your life. Taste and see that I am good. And so as you think about your life, whatever you're, you're thinking about in your life right now, that's the most important thing. That the thing that, that's going to bring you peace or joy or happiness. Turn that to Jesus. Allow Him to be the one that actually fu- brings fulfillment in that. Whether that's relationship or job or health or rest or work or whatever that may be. Or finances. God is the one that can ultimately satisfy All those other things are going to leave you empty. And when we focus on those things, that's what leads our hearts to whine and complain and to run after other things. And God is calling us back to himself. He's saying, turn from those idols. Turn from those things you're tasting and you're feeling and taste the only one that can truly provide. So I'm going to pray and then Chris is going to come up and and lead us in communion um, and remind us of a meal that God gave us, really. Um, to to be reminded that that we need him. So, Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you ultimately can provide all that we need, that we can find our satisfaction and our rest and our hope and our desires in you. Lord, I confess that I'm often a very forgetful person. I forget the many ways that you have actually provided. And just like the Israelites, I complain and, and don't think that you're actually good. Or don't live out the reality that you're actually in control. So Lord, I confess I need you to change my heart. I desire to find my satisfaction in you alone. Lord, I pray that for us as a family, that we would truly find our deepest desire and satisfaction in what you can only provide in Jesus. So Lord, I pray that we would taste and know and feel that you are good. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when Tripp asked me to uh, lead us in communion today, God brought me to a verse in Proverbs. Uh, It's Proverbs 9, 5, and 6. It says, Come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. So as I was meditating on that and praying about that, I just thought it was uh, perfect in what Tripp was talking about that God is inviting us to eat the bread, to drink the wine, to remember what He did for us, to live in that redemption and the restoration and the forgiveness of sins that He offered us on the cross. So as we go and take the bread and the cup today... Take it with those around you, those that you came with, and and confess to one another, where are you not finding your satisfaction in God alone? What things are you grumbling or complaining about in your life? Confess them to those around you and to your Lord. And um, He is faithful to to forgive those. So what this will practically look like, the the band is going to come up. They can come up now. 
and they're going to sing um, a few more songs. But you can go to the back. There's on either side. You'll uh, rip a piece of the bread as a symbol of God's broken body for us. And you're going to dip it in the cup, the juice, symbol, symbolic of his shed blood for us. And then you can step off to the side with those you came with and, and pray and confess those things to one another. And then you're welcome to sit back down. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you died for us. That you sent your son to suffer a horrendous death on the cross. But Father, for for your love for us is why you did it. And so Lord, help us to confess where we fall short. To confess where we are not finding our satisfaction in you. Lord, change our hearts as we remember the gift that you gave. In Jesus' name, amen.